We come to this Sunday, and as we get ready to head into summer, as we get ready to see what the Lord is going to do, and I wanted to take, you know, it's kind of odd for me preaching-wise, because, you know, I kind of have to figure something out for one week for you all, as next week is our missionaries. A uh, week after that, you will be blessed by Pastor Paul as he preaches, so make sure you're here. I know he at one time gave you little cards that said amen and preach it and praise <laughs> the Lord, so uh, some of them are there. If not, make your own, you know, so you can encourage him, uh, you know, with that in a couple weeks. And he'll be leading you uh, in, in a message that he's still praying. And, and so I just kind of sat and go, Lord, where? So I picked up my devotional book, which is based on uh, the liturgical calendar. And I just said, what's there? You know, and we're not a liturgical church in the idea that I preach based on a preconceived calendar, calendar. But I thought, you know, I saw this Acts 11 passage, and I thought, this will be a good one, I think. And I opened up my scripture, and, and I just, you know, as many of you do, you write notes to yourself in your Bible. You know, and I'll say one of my uh, hopes and dreams is uh, that, uh, you know, uh, as I write notes uh, in my Bible, that one of the things I will give my kids is each will have one of my Bibles with my handwritten notes. Whether or not they'll be able to read what is there is a different story. But to give them an idea of how I interacted with Scripture. And as I picked this up and I read it, I, I had these words in the margin. Peter is a unifying presence. And I thought, how important it is for us to learn from Peter here. Because our world, our world is full of conflict. Peace is not a word we use right now. It is full of conflict in almost every area of life. Politically, Geographically, relationships, you know, there's conflict. But also spiritually, there's conflict going on in our world. And, and what I'm noticing is that there is becoming greater and greater conflict within the walls of God's people. And I think that's in part because our world is becoming more and more polarized. There is becoming little space for middle ground on about anything. If, if you ever want to get some good research, you may want to write this down, but Barna, the Barna Group does great research. Uh, they do uh, lots of research right now on pastors. I'll be honest, I don't share that because I think because of the two things I just mentioned, because if I share it, immediately someone's going to say, well, that must be your issue. You must be struggling with it. Truth be told, I do. But I don't need you to validate whether or not I'm struggling or not. Or what will happen is someone will give me a five-step system on what I ought to do to overcome my struggle. I don't always need that either. But there's middle, there's little middle grounds. I also believe, I hope I'm wrong, but I believe the next three to four months, 
if we are not careful, if we will not become a unifying presence, we run the risk of our churches being the churches of conflict, churches of fighting, churches where one side gloats over the other, churches where the new standard is maybe not a standard of scripture, a church that may happen, some of these words from Acts 11, where we start out, the apostles and believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles have also received the word of God. So they, and you would think that would be a great thing, right? They heard the word of God had been going to a new people group. Yet their initial reaction is this. They went, so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of the uncircumcised men and you ate with them? Oh, Peter, what is wrong with you? See, because we are not the first century, we are not the first generation to live in a world of conflict and polarization. It happened in the birthplace of Christianity. It happened when the church is formed. And so I want to tell you, we have a choice. We are never truly powerless. Now, that doesn't mean we won't have influences. Yes, our world will influence us. Leaders around us will influence us. Family members may influence you. May make it to a point where you feel like you have no other choice than to agree with them. But you always have a choice. Whether or not we are willing to do the hard work that I think Peter shows us, if we're willing to be a unifying presence, or in the words of Jesus, whether we're willing to be peacemakers, for he said these words about peacemaking in Matthew chapter 5, known as the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. He said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. But peacemaking is not easy. That some of our global servants who do this, I think of Dan Butchley, I think of the Flemers. Stand slave, they don't get thrown into very nice circumstances. The whole point of peacemaking is the fact that you've got to go there. And there's a place for that, but sometimes we have to realize it comes to us. But we have a choice. I think we have three primary choices. One, we become like the world. There's no need for unity if we just become like the world around us. If we are no different, conflict will not come. I say this to every uh, couples that I do premarital counseling or marriage counseling. If you and your spouse agree 100% of the time, one of you is not necessary. Okay? In my marriage, I voted to Alicia. Uh, some days I vote that. She's not necessary if we always agree. Because I can do it all myself. You know? There's going to be differences. I don't think like she thinks. Much to her dismay at times. Much to her blessing at times. She doesn't think like I do. Much to my dismay at times. Much to my blessing at times. That's anyone. Alright? You don't have to 
be that, that happy about it, Jim. I know it's him, because I know what he has access to. You know. All right? We can become like the world. And when we do that, we, we will try to, we will use the same power systems, the same power itself to get what we want. The only difference is we claim to do it in the name of Jesus. And we've seen this happen over the years. History shows us what that looks like. Secondly, we can retreat from the world. And this is obviously a very nice option. Where we can keep our purity so we remove ourselves from anything and everything that smells like the world. And we can find verses where this is true. John, John in the letter of 1 John, says, do not love the world or anything of it. And some people will look at it and say, see, I shouldn't do this, 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 or this. And you miss the point of what 1 John is saying. He's not saying just retreat from the whole world and don't be there. He's talking about don't love the things of the world, but love the things of God while you're in the world. We know what happens with this. There was a group of people. They settled in a community called Qumran. In the outskirts of Jerusalem, they seems. They truly retreated from all of the world. They did not want to be touched by the impurity of what was around them. You know what happened to them? They died. Because if you truly retreat from the world, you cannot continue to exist. There comes a point where you just cease to exist. Now, they've, they've proven a lot of benefits because of retreating from the world. Some of our best manuscripts or the oldest documents we have of scripture was because of them. And in the caves of Qumran, where we see again and again what we have today as far as the Bible is reliable, is trustworthy, has not changed. That's important. But they don't exist. We also know from history that if we become like the world, there was a community that did that. They were known in the first century as Sadducees. They don't exist. Because you get swallowed up by the world around you. Yet, what did Jesus pray? He prayed these words in John 17. He says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Notice what he says. My prayer is not to take them out of the world, but protection in the midst of the evil in the world. How many times you and I, when we retreat from the world, we actually try to undo the words of Jesus there. As if he didn't know what to pray for our behalf. No, no, no. I can't be in the world, so I try to escape as much as possible. And we nullify the words of Christ. Much to our disadvantage. We need Christians in every aspect of the world. And we need to pray for the evil one to be banned and banished. We need to pray for protection, but we cannot just retreat. We must be different from the world, but part of the world. 
We must be in, but not up. And it is only when we are there we can see the power of Jesus' words come true. But how do we do that, right? I mean, but how? That sounds great, Pastor Gary. That sounds great. I love that idea. But what, what do I do? How do I do that? And I know the simple answer, the easy answer is just keep looking at Jesus. Absolutely. But can we admit that that doesn't help us when we're in meetings with people who disagree with us? You know, just looking at Jesus isn't always very specific enough when someone comes our way, when there's disagreement, when things don't go our way, when we're not sure what to do next. God. Both of them were in unison. I love it. I love it. Alright? They they told you the answer. I'm gonna to try to interpret what they said in the rest of the sermon, okay? But if I get it wrong, just go to them later. And they'll tell you again. But how? We read these words. That starting that Peter was approached, he was criticized for what he was doing. And we see this. We cannot be united without community. You see that? Peter had an option. Sometimes, uh, what, you know, and while I was doing this on, on Wednesdays, and I encourage you to watch us either online or in person on Wednesdays, that sometimes we, we need to hear not just what is said, but what is not said. How easy it would have been for Peter just to say, well, forget you all. I'll go my own way. But he stayed in community. You don't need to be a unifying presence if you're alone. You, you don't need to be a unifying presence if there's no diversity among you as a community. If everyone agrees it's not unity, it's just sameness. It's just sameness. We have to live in community. This means, as you've heard me maybe say many times, our faith is not just an intellectual, individual faith. It is a faith lived out in community with one another. Which means things aren't always going to work out the way we want. And in those times, it's easy to, to abandon the community. It's easy to go find our own community of people who look like us, think like us, smell like us, talk like us. And in our area of the world, it's really easy to find that. You know, uh, I, in the past, yeah, I would have got it. All right? In the past about almost 10 years, I've lived in places where I look like everybody else. And that's comforting in a lot of ways. But you know what? There's, a, there's uh, uh, something about that that can be very dangerous. I can cease to forget that people are different than me. Believe it or not, I don't think like everybody else. All right? We don't think like everyone else. And if we're not careful, we start measuring people, not whether or not what God is doing in their life, but whether or not they look like us, think like us, and behave like 
us. And then when they don't, that's when we need to stick around even further. We must not leave God's people just because we disagree. There's a good chance, because of who I am, I will step on everybody's toes, and I will make about everybody mad. I will also make about everybody happy at some point in time. If you wait another week, I might not. I love what my one mentor, uh, Bill Bradingham, used to say. He had the knack of every church he was a part of, he made everybody happy. I was amazed at that at first. He said, a third when I came, a third when I was there, and a third when I left. Uh, pretty good. You know, I don't know, Ron, if you ever experienced that in the classroom. You made all your students happy. Some when the class started, and a lot when the class didn't, when it ended. You know, some with their grade, no. Pastor Paul, I know, had a similar experience. That's fine. But that's why we need community. If I agree with you 100% of the time, I'm not, one of us is not necessary. You can vote for which one you think is not necessary. I think I know where that goes. So what do we see here? Where do we get a unifying presence from? What is the actions of Peter? One, we must value prayer. As he is in prayer, as Peter retells the story, I was in the city of Joppa praying. This wasn't just a prayer of, of hey, bless this food I'm about to eat. This was an intentional prayer. He's spending time in prayer. You want to be a unifying presence, you've got to pray. And you've got to pray more than just, Lord, here's my list for the day. You've got to spend time in prayer discerning who God is and what he wants from you. All right? Do you do that? Do you spend time in, in concerted prayer? This is where it gets into this trance life. This wasn't a five-minute time period. This was a long time in prayer. He's letting his fellow believers know this wasn't something I came up with. This is something that I felt the Spirit, and he's going to say again and again, the Spirit came up with. Why? The more we pray, the more wisdom we gain. You want wisdom? Spend a whole lot more time in prayer than you do now. <coughs> if you want wisdom, you better be a praying person. You're not going to get one without the other. All right? Pray and pray. And pray again. Secondly, we must value Scripture. We can't just pray and then go, I think the Lord said this. Exactly, Lord. Alright? We can't do that. we got to know Scripture. That's why you may say, well, wait, wait a minute, why? Well, what, how does it show? Peter, in his time of prayer, heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill, and eat. He said, surely not, Lord. Interesting, because of prayer, he knew who he was talking. He didn't have to ask, who are you? He knew who he was talking. He said, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure and unclean has ever entered my mouth. He, he starts to discern what the Lord is telling him through prayer, through scripture. 
God will never tell you to do something that doesn't line up with Scripture. Period. Okay? If God's Word says no, prayer, and prayer says yes, you need to be praying a little more. Okay? He won't say anything contrary to Scripture. That's why we need no Scripture. See, but, but, but he goes on to say something else. The voice, the Lord said, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. Was God changing his mind all of a sudden? Was God saying, uh, all of a sudden, oh, uh, Peter, just kidding, I've made all things clean? I will tell you no. Because if you look at the beginning of time, there wasn't this clean and unclean food. We read in, in the earlier pages that, uh, you know, uh, there, there is this idea that Peter's vision reminds him that the laws of the Old Testament, something has happened where they're no longer bound by those laws. Christ says, I've come to fulfill the law. The law no longer has bound over us. We don't follow the prescribed notions of Leviticus. The people of God is no longer just the nation of Israel. The people of God are built upon a new covenant. But you know what? God has something else in mind. I think if it wasn't for the fact that he says, right then, three men who've been sent from Caesarea stopped at the house I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. Why? Because God was telling him, don't call anybody unclean that I am making clean. Because at stake, was of gospel importance. If you want to be a unifying presence, we got to understand what is essential to the gospel and what is not essential to the gospel. Notice within this, uh, this explanation that Peter has, he doesn't talk about circumcision. He doesn't attack circumcision. He doesn't attack his fellow believers. He says this is of gospel importance. This is what happened for the gospel of things. I fear that if we are not careful in the coming months and years, we will make everything of gospel importance and we will lose the gospel. There will be things that will be of gospel importance. Well, there will be a whole lot of things that may be right, that will be true, that will be honorable, but are not of gospel importance that they get to supplant the gospel. Nothing supplants the gospel. And if it does, we miss it. With it. So it's gospel importance. And right there, six brothers came, met with him. He told us, how they had seen an angel appear in this house of the Gentiles and said, Go to Joppa for Simon, who's called Peter. He will bring you a message that which you and all your households will be saved. I mean, it doesn't get clear clear path what the Lord is doing here for Peter. He's going to a place and there's got to be a response. 
His vision lines up with some others. But it reminds us, if you want to be a unifying presence in our world, you must be sensitive to the Spirit. We must be Spirit-sensitive. Well, how do you become sensitive to the Spirit, Pastor? Well, spend a whole lot of time in prayer. Spend a lot of time reading Scripture. And you will start to see the Spirit. You will start to see the Spirit show up. Spend time with God's people. And you will see the Spirit show up. Peter is sensitive to the Spirit. And then he goes, and he, I think Peter had this idea in mind. Peter had this idea in mind that, that he was going to go, he was going to preach a message, and it was going to work like every other time. The thing is, is you can't put the Holy Spirit in a box. Amen? You put the Holy Spirit in a box, and I'll tell you what will happen. I'm going to get blown up. It's like giving a kid a box. You don't give a kid a box you want to reuse. Because they're going to tear it up. They're going to use it. You put the Spirit in a box, and the Spirit says, Good try. Good luck. And he says, right away, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came upon them. Can you imagine? I mean, how awesome. I've never had this experience. So, you know, Holy Spirit, you can do this. I'm open. That I start my message and all of a sudden you all just, uh, you know, respond as the Holy Spirit has told you to respond and I can just sit down and shut up. How amazing would that be? Pastor Paul, have you ever had that happen? No. Pastor uh, Ron? Did you ever have a classroom where the Spirit just showed up and you could quit teaching and they all got the lesson? That'd be much easier for you, wouldn't it? Yeah, you know. Well, but this is what happens. Now, Peter has a, once again, what does it say? Peter has an idea of, do I, do I do my plan or do I go, whoa, this is the Holy Spirit, let's just stop and wait. Let's just stop and wait. Peter, being sensitive to the Spirit, stopped. And wait. It came on them as it came on us. And then I remember why. Because he, he'd been filling himself with the words of Jesus in Scripture. He said what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And so he's just telling them what is going on. So my question is, is this the Spirit of Jesus at work? You want to be a unifying spirit? You've got to slow down and say, is this the spirit of Jesus at work? Is this Jesus at work? Is Jesus doing this? Well, you say, well, how do I know what Jesus would do? Have you read his stories? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John? Have you read his stories to know if this is consistent with who Jesus is or not? What, I mean, an old phrase, what would Jesus do? Yeah, you got it. You need to know that. What would Jesus do? All right? Because that will teach you a lot of things about how to love you, how to love God, and also importantly, how to love others. Because there is when you become a unifying uh, presence. Have you noticed that 
these whole things, they're going to take a whole lot of time. In a world that thinks we ought to uh, have an opinion on every current event that is coming, this requires we to slow down. In a world that uh, will uh, help us to uh, say something quickly, we need to slow ourselves down in the process. And then we will see what's going on. And lastly, as far as Peter goes, Peter stuck to the sword. You notice he doesn't engage the real issue necessarily. He doesn't say, well, don't you remember that uh, Jesus, you know, overcame the law, that there's freedom? Don't you remember that if Christ has set us free, we are free indeed? He said, this is what happened. How many times you and I we tell the story, but we go on little rabbit trails here and there. We speculate. Well, if you really believe Jesus, Peter doesn't do this. Did you notice, though, there's a whole lot in this story that has nothing to do with Peter? It's all about what the Spirit is doing, what Jesus is doing. It's not about Peter. He said what he did, but he makes notice that I began to speak, the Holy Spirit showed up. I'm just going to tell you, I remember what Jesus said then. And then he goes on to say, so God gave them the same gift he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't, he, he doesn't check their motives. Huh. That'll go a long way right there. I don't question Cooper's motives when he disagrees with me. You know? I said, but we who believe in Jesus, I don't make him my enemy. He says, so if God gave the same gift, notice he reminds him it's a gift. It wasn't about them to begin with. And believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was I to think I can stand in God's way? If it's from God, I need to get out of God's way. How many times, if we had this attitude, life would be different? In our relationships, in the world around us, the community organizations we are a part of, in our schools, and in our churches. Because we ought to be different in this place. I realize we're all of a similar color, with the exception of Sukhan, who I love. You know, she comes from East Asia area, the Asian area. Love it. I realize we don't have many people of minority among us. But you know, that's not always the only thing. We have people who think differently than us. We have, to some extent, different values and priorities. But can we all confess Jesus as Lord? 
one of the uh, pastors that I'm trying to lean into some of what he says as of late is Andy Stanley out of Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, for some of you, uh, you will know his father, Charles Stanley. Okay, Andy is the son of Charles. Uh, he recently uh, gave a talk to uh, the Joint uh, House and Senate of Georgia, where uh, I went away going, oh, I could never say that. I don't like confidence much. But he said things like this, and I'm not quoting, but you can find it on YouTube and others, though I'm certain he's getting some pushback from people in his own camp. But the idea of if we continue to separate one another at us versus them, we will tear ourselves apart. If we start to think that only Jesus would be on our side of the issue because we are Republican or Democrat, we will cease to be the people of God. As he and others have said, if your faith has more to do with your political ideology than it does with Jesus, you don't have faith. You have an ideology. I think Jesus would disrupt a lot of our stuff. Okay? And that may be hard for us to hear, I know. I have dear friends, and truly they are dear friends, that we disagree on lots of issues, but we can't agree on Jesus' will. And just because we disagree on another one, I don't need to question their salvation. Because that is a gift from God. I am not the Lord. I can see fruit, and we can have great conversations, but if I want to be a unifying presence, I must at some point in time say, that is up to the Lord. You know what? The end result, verse 18, when they heard this, they had no further objections, and they praised God, saying, so then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Christ, was glorified. How easy would it be for Peter to say, yeah, look what I did. Look at the role God played in my life. Instead, he gets out of the way and say, look at what Christ had done. Even those we didn't think could come to know Jesus have come to know Jesus. Who do you think God can't touch? Who do you think God can't save? Do you have some initials for them? I'm sure we do. Do you have things? Do you have people that come to mind? They can't be saved. They're too far out there. They're too far one way. May I submit that you start praying for them? You say, oh, I don't know anybody. Pray in broad terms. No one, no one is without, is beyond the reach of God until their last breath is done. No one, I don't care how vile, awful, evil, contrary to God's word, they may live today. They are not so far gone until their last breath. And this is why Peter, Paul, not Peter, Paul, 
Paul says, we ought to pray that the eyes, the God of this world, no longer blinds people to the gospel. Pray that this world's eyes become open to see. Pray that the world will see who Jesus is. And pray that you and I would be a unifying presence in those moments. That we would go, maybe, where other Christians, when they come back, will go, Larry, what in the world were you thinking? And Larry's just going to, because I know Larry, Larry loves the Lord. Larry, Larry's open to the Spirit. Larry's going to go, I, I was praying. And, and I heard the Lord say, Larry, you need to go this way. And then all of a sudden, that door opened. And I went and I, I shared Jesus. And as I'm preaching, they said, well, well, we believe Jesus is Lord. And, and I may have heard beforehand that he did this all over woodworking. I'm like, Larry, come on. Woodworkers can't know Jesus. They've not been in the church yet. You know, how, you, you mean someone can go to know Jesus without, without coming to church? Come on, Larry, you should brought him here first. And I hope Larry will say, this is, the, this is it. You see? And I hope my response, I hope your response is, wow. Even people who never set foot in the church can come to know Jesus, who gives life. Even people walking in darkness may see life. I submit to you that if we pray a whole lot more, we sit ourselves in Scripture a whole lot more, we become sensitive to the Holy Spirit a whole lot more, and we get ourselves out of the way, yep, that's it. We want the, the effects of that will be a unifying presence and a conflictious and a polarized world and God will show up and show up and we will have a story that's happening. Will you pray with me? Father God, we just thank you for this time. Lord, I ask that you would uh, help us to uh, see you, to, 